So, good news. Yeah. Good news. Yeah. Uh, I got the door that we mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. last week. You found a door. I had the match. Bad news. I didn't get Kid Bandit through the door. No. Good news, though. To temper okay. that, good news. Kid Bandit didn't put me through the door. Oh, okay. All did, right. Did so, one of so you put yourselves the through the door? Oh, I, I went through the door. I, I'll i give oh, you that. I went oh. through the door. I'll submit that to the court. Uh, I may have propped her up on it after staple gunning Yu-Gi-Oh cards to her head. Um, and she may have got out of the way uh, when I went barreling towards her with a wheel kick. Um mm-hmm. And went through the door that snapped clean in half. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, congrats to Phoenix for working on that door to make sure it would uh, be the loudest fucking snap on earth. As yeah. as I cleanly broke the door in half and it snapped over me like the jaws of an alligator. Um, and that was that was immediately before uh, Kid Bandit put a trash can uh, in front of my face, climbed the turnbuckle on the opposite side of the ring and flew across and drop kicked it into my head. Um, then we, uh, well, at the end, we each had a pokeball. We circled each other. We threw the pokeballs and... I can't wait to see how it turned out because each Pokeball exploded in a shower of thumbtacks that covered the ring. And if that eventual clip does not make it on the rounds on wrestling Twitter, I will call shenanigans because it was gorgeous. Um, went through a table, obviously. Uh, got attacked by a barbed wire blood shark. Um all that is to say that the door I, I spoke of last week uh, did lead towards, uh, or certainly part of, the best fucking match of my life. Oh my god. Kid Band yeah. is incredible to work with. Um, wonderful to make bleed. Uh, and just an absolute joy to pulverise. Um, and to be pulverised by... Uh, I'd also like to um, just address a friend of the show and a friend of, of yours and mine, Laura Echo, who oh, yeah. um, was there uh, as yeah. part of the Sterling section, uh, just the, the group of queers that turn up every wrestling show and make some noise. Um, just just like to let you know, Echo, thanks. You you and Amy both, I believe it was Amy on the other side, Um sitting me in a chair and holding my arms at either side so that Kid could uh, kick my head off while I screamed to Echo, I was at your birthday party. Um, (laughs) (sighs) That was the kick that wasn't pulled either, Echo, I'd just like you to know. That was the one that made full contact with my head. Um, Thanks. But yeah, uh, thank you everyone who, who came out to it, to those lads that gave me a cheeky J afterwards, uh, to fee for being there for like the the biggest match of my life and true grit of course the promotion that saw the potential that we could have in the main event and uh, allowed us to prove it because uh, yeah. we really did it is a 20 minute hardcore banger that 
sounded like something I'd say on my <laughs> son. It was a a trans death match in a church, as Kid Bandit is calling it. Um, and it really did come close to death match at certain points. Um, it's incredible. It's going to be out on the True Grit YouTube channel at some point, and I'll uh, be promoting it to high heaven. But my God, if you only ever watch one wrestling match I do, make it this one because there, there's a boggling. I I haven't even mentioned that anywhere yet. Um, a oh. boggling got involved. Um, it was awesome. Uh, Kid Bandit just screaming, what is that? Me yelling, it's a boglin, bashing her in the face with it and then screaming, and it's awesome, before choking her out with the tail. Uh, it's just worth looking at. It's worth watching. There's a Minecraft sword, sure. Um, yeah. So so anyway, that, that was my weekend. I am covered in bruises. How are you two? I am no longer in Germany. Aha! Uh-huh. I was in Germany and I saw too many video games. Any amount of video games is too many video games. I mean, you saw a lot. I saw a lot. I went to Gamescom and I did that thing that happens when you go to like big, like press event trade show type things where you have to like see a game and then like two minutes later sit down. You got to have a, you got to put cogent opinions about it together right now. I've seen so many video games and formed so many video game opinions. This is not. This is ostensibly a video game show, but I don't like how many video games I've I've done. It's too many. Uh, I never have to do that again. (laughs) It is so, like, you forget (laughs) a little bit, right? And then, you know, because it's been years since I've had to do that. Many, like, God, going on a decade almost since I've had to do that. I stopped doing them before I even uh, left Destructoid, which was one of the issues. One of the... uh, (laughs) disagreements we had where i was like i can do the job that i do better from home with a stable internet connection um Uh, and not wasting my time queuing up to (laughs) to watch the latest sniper elite trailer or whatever i did gamescom i did a little bit of like going and seeing things that people paid me to go and see and have opinions on and the rest of it was like what stuff am I actually interested in? And like, what kind of cool meetings can I organize? And I got some some cool shit done. Um, even if like half the stuff I store is stuff where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to bother to tell position people about it. Eh. I never got laid at any of those shows. No. The amount of times I was told after the fact, oh, I'd have banged you, but I was scared of you. Because of your like, just aura. Because people assume that I'm like I'm going to be in my videos. They don't realize, even after meeting me, that I'm like a gigantic pussy. And that's why I never got any. You've got to put out big pussy energy. (laughs) That's that's where I've been going wrong. So, yeah, I don't know how many things you've both played this week, but I played a bunch of things. And because Polquisition ostensibly is about video games. Yeah. I, I feel like I should start talking about some of the things I played this week because That's I've got right. a fucking lot of them to throw out. Um, where do I start? Where do I start? Um, oh, I played a demo for a game that I'm I'm kind of into, uh, even if it took my brain a little wrangling to get around. Uh, it's called Star Trucker. And there's very little explanation I have to give you here other than that it is just Euro Truck Simulator in space, and therefore you have to think about extra axes of movement. Okay. 
like I'm not being facetious when I say it's literally just Euro Truck Simulator. Right. The entire gameplay loop of get your truck, do your deliveries, get paid, try not to crash into things, that'll take out of the amount you earn, buy licenses that will let you do like longer haul journeys or more fragile cargo and all that stuff. And there's like a little bit more to it. They play a little bit around with the um the being set in space. Like the big thing is if you damage your truck, you're gonna have to get out of the truck in your spacesuit in uh, ship, uh your spacesuit in between deliveries to like go physically float around in zero G and do your repairs and stuff. But it's just Euro Truck Sim where you're having to go, cool, I'm trying to back up to this thing to to like connect the payload to the back of my lorry. I don't just have to reverse and go left and right. I've got to be thinking about my pitch and your as I reverse as well. Which granted, little brain breaky. Reversing in zero gravity took some getting used to. As someone that just likes space and enjoys truck sims, that I saw nothing that leads me to think I won't uh, that that I'm not going to enjoy this. It's just your road truck simulator in space. There's nothing really additional to say about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's an additional place to be trucking. Um, I'm going to rattle through some of these because some of these I I've have, got like... Star Trekking stuck in my head now. What across the universe? Trekking across the universe. That's the one. Starship Enterprise and Captain Kirk. Star trekking across the universe, boldly going far cause we can't find reverse. There we are. Classics. I I watched that video the other day, like for the first time in what must be decades. Fucking mad video. Like, like mad video. Their heads are potatoes and Spoxies keep going big and little and the weird alien puppets. It's quite something. That has gotten me thinking about a song that I only discovered existed this past week, that that oh, song wow. by Leonard Nimoy, uh, which was The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Bill Baggins! Oh, yeah, sure. Fucking brilliant. Bilbo, yeah. Bilbo Baggins. The bravest little hobbit of them all. You never heard that one? Oh, mate. No, I'd never heard that before. I'd never heard his... I like the bit in the middle of that song where Leonard Nimoy just... He just starts like quoting plot points from The Hobbit <laughs> as yeah. if he's very specifically as if he's like, he watched the film and is doing a book report and he's trying not to get too specific so it's not too clear he didn't read the book. He's like, he, he wrangled with Gollum, fought a troll. It's he just he very... watched the animated show but didn't actually, you know, like yeah. read the book for his book report. Yeah, he, he's jumping around between bullet points in a way that I kind of love. <laughs> Brilliant. But yeah, other stuff I played. Um, I'm trying to get some of the stuff that I have like less to say about out of the way. Um, Pizza Possum. I'm very excited for Pizza Possum having played it. The entire concept is you are a possum trying to steal and eat as much food as you can without getting caught by the cops. And if the ah. cops spot you, you gotta waddle away as quickly as you can and break line of sight and hide in a bush. You can get back to eating as much food as you can. There are other little gameplay mechanics going on with it. Um, you you can get like little power ups. There might be things like bones you can drop on the floor to because the, the the cops are dogs and oh you distracted them or some energy drink you can chug to speed yourself around. But generally speaking, you are just trying to eat as much food as you can as quickly as possible to eat enough food that the gate will open to the next area where you go eat even more food. There is a risk reward to being in the line of sight of the cops, which is that. You get more, like, bonuses towards progression by eating food while the cops are running after you, while they can see you. 
but you slow down as like uh, as you're eating. Uh, when you eat, you start to get sort of bigger and chunkier as this uh, this possum, and it takes a second for that to go down. And the more food you're trying to eat while the cop is actively chasing you, you're gonna have to deal with being a little slowed down as you're like gonna gotta run gotta run off this pizza for a minute. I played it in co-op. Uh, local catch co-op, pretty fun. Uh, I'm trying to remember what animal the the player two wasn't a possum; they were some other. Um, equally, I could see them running around being a menace kind of animal, but there's there's not much to it. But what is there is very instantly charming. It's for, it, it's very enjoyable in the same sort of way as like Untitled Goose Game was. It's it's that genre of game of. I just want to be a little furry piece of shit that's giving everyone a hard time while I go do what I want to do. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I, I've, I've got my eye on that one. Uh, what about either of you? Have either of you played anything this week? You know what? I'll get one out of the way. Yeah, the sure. Way. Electronic Arts published another game recently. Yeah? It's called Immortals of Avian. Oh, it this one. A first-person shooter uh, with magic instead of mm. guns. But it's an aesthetic difference because the magic is just guns. Um, I've written my review. I'm publishing it after I uh, record this with you all. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt from it in a second because I think it says it all. Uh, I will say I looked at the cover art for this game, saw the protagonist on it, the incredibly generic white guy protagonist, and... I guessed, and I do this every time with these games, just to amuse me, I guessed that his name would be Jack, Jake, or Jacob. Ah, yeah. He's called Jack, without a C. So he's literally one letter off Jack and Jake. Um, So he's just doubling (laughs) up. He's called Jack, which that's, this is what one, this is what that game is. I mean, like Jack from Jack and Daxter? Is this like a Oh, I wish. Yeah. It's Jack as if it's Jack as if they wanted to call him Jack, like dozens of other video game protagonists, <laughs> but wanted to be a bit fantasy about it. Um mm. so it's called Jack. I was absolutely fucking delighted when I saw his name. And that was the last time the game delighted me. <laughs> uh, I've described it in the in the, the review as aggressively mediocre. Um as a game, it is very reminiscent of the mid Xbox 360 PS3 era games. Your Quantum Theories, Haze, Inversion, that kind of thing. I have to stress, as I've I've been having to stress, that when I say that, I don't mean it's a charming throwback. When I say it's like Quantum Theory, I mean it's as charming as that was. Less so, in fact. Combat is barely worth talking about. It's just first-person shooters. You've got blue magic, green magic, red magic. Red is basically shotguns. Blue is basically snipery pistols. And green is basically assault rifles. All with unresponsive controls and everything. But it's the game's un- not unbelievable... Basically, this game has made me question the meaning of the term uh, uninspired. Because mm-hmm. we call a game uninspired when it's generic, grow, boring, 
very similar to other stuff. But this game, I can't call it uninspired. It has been too inspired by every fantasy story that has ever existed to the point where it is... What did I describe it as in the review? I was really proud of what I said at the end. Less of a story and more the creative slag oozing from a smelter full of adventure tropes. That's the kind of game this... I'll just read this bit where I summarise the plot in the review. There's this war called the Ever War because it's a war that's lasted forever. Nations are fighting over magic, which some people are born with and some people aren't. Society is consequently segregated between the magical Magni and the less magical Lightless, leading to the kind of prejudice you've seen in about a hundred stories with this exact same basic premise. Q, an obligatory surface-level take on inequality via fantasy bigotry TM, that stops at saying oppression's mean because the plot's too timid to say anything more culturally relevant. If you guess that Jack... Lull, was born as one of the so-called lightless, but suddenly has magic spraying out of his cock after his home is attacked by an evil empire and he gets salty about it, you don't get to feel clever because it's so obviously what happens. For extra points, Jack's initially against signing up for the war until his mawkish friends die, at which point he's ready to slaughter thousands of soldiers who wear faceless helmets to keep said slaughter comfortably depersonalised. There's one scene, just one where Jack chides the token jerk-ass character for shooting a single wounded enemy. I could only roll my eyes because, of course, there's a scene of specifically selective sympathy. Gosh, Jack's so compassionate for about half a minute before beginning anew his Merry Magic Massacre. I detail more overwhelmingly trite scenes, but I think they qualify as spoilers. Despite each one being so narratively shop-worn, their reveals only made me sneer in disgust. Let's just say you'll feel more deflated than astonished when a certain villain takes her mask off. Oh, and there's the obligatory who are the real bad guys question, because again, of course there is. These aren't plot twists, they're plot affirmations. And that is basically what I think about this game. If you can predict it happening, it will happen. It is that much every trope, like to a frustrating degree. I think of when like a small child writes a story that's their story, but you read it and it's like the plot of, of the animals of Farthing Wood or something. Like it's something they've seen and then rewrote and said it's their story because at that age, their brains are just impressionable sponges. That just oh, regurgitate ideas. As someone that 100% did that growing up, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, but again, yeah. only yeah. like when kids do it, it's kind of sweet. Whereas this just almost like there's a diagram to a fantasy adventure story and they are just following it. There's only one original thing this game does because all the puzzles, it's got fucking laser and mirror puzzles just to let you know what level we're at here. There's only one original thing this game does. There is a lash that you can use to latch onto grapple points and swing. Now, we've seen that a dozen times, but how's this for innovation? The grapple has a cooldown meter, which is separate from the cooldown that the grapple points have. Uh, uh, the grapple um, points have a cooldown. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's no reason for this whatsoever, and it's only served to like inconvenience me a couple times if I like miss a jump or something. I can see like in a boss fight 
that is predicated on the availability of these grapple points not being <laughs> able to immediately go back and forth. But I know I've put more thought into this. <laughs> Every boss just shoots the same magic you do. It, they just have long health bars and they whiz about the map and you just shoot them until they dead. Um, no, there is no puzzle. There, there's no like puzzly boss. There is no boss with a strategy the most strategic you might get is here's a thing that has a lot of damage soak until it opens up a big crystal on its head to shoot you and that's a weak point Mm. um that is as advanced as it gets everything else is based around you know i've got a blue shield up which means you should hit me with blue magic that just repeated for hours color matching wow color matching uh, same goes for a lot of the puzzles. Uh, there are these weird, silly-looking lumps of different colours, and if you shoot them with the right coloured magic, then you open a door. It's... You know, we do that. We 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 do that with infants. Yeah, yeah. It's where's Waldo with primary coloured tumours? <laughs> That's what it is. You know, I won't get into all the nitty gritty about how it's like unresponsive and badly animated and everything actually i will talk briefly about the animation it reminds me of heavy rain Mm. it's so uncanny and the character models appear to be motion captured but i can't be sure they're all weirdly exaggerated and it's the first time i've ever had to accuse character models of trying too hard but it feels like they're trying too hard to look human which doesn't help with the fact that they have overly mocapped faces, but important things like eyes aren't moving with as, with as much animation as the mouths. And I'm pretty sure the lip syncing's off. So it's just all a bit creepy. I don't like it. And even though it looks like decently made enough, like it's not, it's like I said, it's unresponsive and, and not not well put together in terms of button layout and stuff like that there's there's a little bit of incompetence but there's no degree no shortage of effort um but it still somehow looks cheap and empty which i think again has to do more with incompetence than not having the tools because the game looks nice enough but they'll get npcs and they'll plonk them in the middle of the room looking at nobody and give them a conversation animation routine so they're nodding their head and emphatically gesturing and talking silently talking to nobody and so everyone just looks like they've lost the plot i also think that we're meant to believe the characters at least the main ones are likable so i think what they ended up with was accidental i don't think they meant for them to come across how they do which is not affable and and likable and relatable it's such a mediocre, like it's the, it's somehow extremely mediocre. They've exaggerated mundanity. And that is sort of impressive. Wow. So yeah, yeah. Aggressively yeah. mediocre, as I've called it. And just, I've, it's been a long time since I've seen a story this unoriginal. Like, holy crap, are they hitting every trope they can. Yeah. 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 Hmm. What about you, Conrad? You played anything this week? I did. Um, I somehow did not like get the memo that um 
there was a like jet set radio inspired game oh. coming. Oh. Yes, I have started playing around with this. I've not put nearly enough time in. And I probably haven't either, but um, it's uh, it's called Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. It came out on Switch a couple of weeks ago, mm. and it's going to release, uh, and on, on PC, and it's going to release on PlayStation and Xbox ne- uh, next week, and or like this weekend, I guess. And it is, when I say Jet Set Radio inspired, I... I Maybe it's over-inspired by Jet Set. No, if you like that game, it is, it's got a lot of similarity to that. You are a member of a street gang, but in the tutorial, you were a different guy named Foe, who I, I guess was one of the three, like, competing graffiti taggers in the city. Um, and you get your head chopped off by, yeah, by by another one, and now you've got a stupid looking robot head on that just looks not great at all. Um, and you join a street tagging gang to take over the various zones of the city with your graffitis and doing sick lines on various grindable, uh paths it's it's that uh the music's great uh they brought back one of the people involved in the music for jet set radio they brought him in uh and and some indie artists and soundtrack's great um the the level design is is good like the stage areas with the you know figuring out what you can jump to to do a complete set of tricks is good um you can manual between spots in a in a run to maintain your combo um it's fairly limited but i think it's limited to a reasonable degree um you know this isn't like tony hawk where as long as you can keep the balance in the meter um you can keep going this has this will just give it a limited amount of time and if you haven't figured it out by then uh, you know, you're on your own. It's all of that skating stuff. And I say skating, you can also be on BMX bikes. So you got skateboards, rollerblades, and bikes that you can choose to, and they all seem to be the same. It doesn't actually matter. It's just, did you want to be seen doing it on a bike or on a pair of rollerblades? That all works fine. It feels rough and unpolished but that is also in service to the general aesthetic and it's not punished in the gameplay so all of that works really well and then you get to combat which is gummy and uh lacks feedback it it's it, it it's like slap in your hand with a paper bag that is the extent to which you feel like you have and maybe that's too much uh made impact on an enemy when you hit them you see them stagger or fall back but it still doesn't feel right at all it's terrible and it's not at least as much as i've played 
a particularly significant part of the game. There will come points where you might be in an environment and still have goals you're trying to finish up there and the cops show up. And at first it's just foot patrols that are easily avoided. But then you get a second heat level and these drones pop up that fire arms that try to grab your arms and legs and drag and pull you back like tow cables um, that are really fucking annoying. Not punishing, just annoying. Anything related to the combat doesn't feel good. It's just not enjoyable. So far, there's not terribly much of it, but it's there. And you have to fight some flying enemies and they're annoying because it is so hard to judge if you're going to make contact with them and hit them. And like with the tricks and, and the grinding and so forth, it's very forgiving, but it still feels awful to play that aspect of it. Everything else, though, is fun, and and I'm enjoying it, and I will probably play a little bit more um, if I remember. But yeah. it's, yeah, it, it's got problems. I, I played a little bit of this on, on a flight, and I didn't get far enough in to really have much combat to play around with. I'm enjoying the stuff that isn't combat. We'll see how I feel about it when I've done combat a couple more times. Yeah, yeah. It's right, So have you... Uh... Have you made it through like the tutorial stuff? Yeah, then? I, I, and, I made it. Yeah. I made it far enough that like um, I, I've got the robot head. I've been playing around with like tagging stuff. I do. I do like the um, sort of system by which you you do your analog stick between the different points, and that determines sort of how your graffiti goes up. Yeah, I like that system. Yeah, the tagging system's neat. You and and it's and tagging is responsive too. You know, you don't yeah. you have to be relatively close to an item to tag it, but not super it's, close. It's quick and not too it's not too involved. You can sort of just do it and get get moving, mm -hmm. which I appreciate. Yeah. I like that. And I like that the specific patterns are tied to the specific tags so that if you really wanted to get good at doing a specific tag, you could consistently do it if you yeah, wanted to. But it but it also means that like if you're in a hurry, like, oh shit, I gotta throw up a tag right now, you don't have to stress about doing the one the one that you usually do and can just go just get something up, just tag and right. go. Right. And I, I think I think that aspect of it works well. I wanna put more time into it. It's just finding the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I think I know exactly where you would be in the game yet if you haven't had complaints about combat, and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, I, as I say, I played a little bit on a flight, but not, not much at all. Yep. It's, on, the, it's on my list. <laughs> but the levels are, are pretty cool, um, and they have lots yeah. of, of well, you know, laid out and identifiable lines to play on, um, and I like that. And I like that I don't have to overthink any aspect of those um, skating sequences. Yeah. So, yeah. But, nice. yeah. What about uh, you? What else have you played? I'll, I'll get back to cracking through some some demos of stuff. that like, I've got a couple of games I've played a bit more in depth, like, that I can actually talk about at the end, but we'll, we'll crack out a few more of these. I played around with some of the stuff in the Jackbox Party Pack 10. 
if you played Jackbox 3, there was a game called TKO, about designing t-shirts with slogans and drawings on them. There is a new TKO, TKO 2, and I'm... It's the same game, but with additional art options. You can have different colored backgrounds and different colors you can draw with, and options for things like fonts when you're putting your silly slogan on your shirt. I'm trying to work out how to how to how to put this. This isn't the first time that like Jackbox has taken a concept from a past Jackbox and redone it, but this feels like in some ways one of the lazier ones of that. In that, usually if you've got, like, say, Fibbage or something, or one of those games where, like, there are silly prompts you're doing silly responses to, getting a sequel in a later Jackbox means that you have a fresh new set of prompts. And if you've played a bunch of it, you're less likely to see the prompts that you know because you play this game all the time. TKO is not a game driven by game-provided prompts. And therefore... It re- this is like one of the more obvious like sequels in a Jackbox game where it really does feel like if this wasn't an annualized thing, it would have just been an update to the original. Um like I enjoy TKO, I like these new options. It it's certainly as as one of the two things from, from this new game that I got to play around with. It doesn't, to me, feel like the one they should have shown off, because it does make it feel like one-fifth of this is not necessarily a thing you need if you already own Jackbox 3. Which, um, you know, and that's that's kind of how they get away with this, generally speaking. Yeah. Is, you know, now s- some of them, like your Fibbage, there's a lot of new content there that justifies you know, repetition and re-release. And yeah. usually they'll add a mode or something that's a little, you know, uh, different to mix it up a, a smidge. But, you yeah. know, I get those. That I understand. Yeah. Something like this, where it's it basically seems like a few color options, and, yeah. you know, for I, design, well, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Hon- honestly, yes. And, like, if it wasn't for the fact that I enjoy TK already, I'd be more critical. But, like... If you already own TKO, this is like not really a value add in Jackbox 10. So they're really going to have to have something good in 10, is what yeah, I'm hearing. So I, I know about some of the other ones. I didn't, I, I only got to play one other thing from 10, and it was interesting. And I want to talk about it mainly from a perspective of I was impressed what they technically pulled off. So there is another game in Jackbox 10 called Dodo Ray Me, which is a collaborative music rhythm game played on your mobile device over an internet connection. Which sounds like a recipe for huge problems with lag. Surprisingly not. I was kind of impressed. And it's like a really simple solution they have, which is basically just, you are looking at the the, the screen and when you see the thing, uh, the thing you know happening on its sort of metronome, you tap in time with it, and it will go cool. Your internet connected device has roughly this much delay, and I was surprised at how well that worked over Wi-Fi in a crowded convention center. Yeah, um, yeah. Like that is that is a rough test location for that, and it were it, it. I had no problems with latency which I was kind of impressed by. 
this is basically mobile phone rock band that only has access to royalty-free, license-free public domain music. You have your notes coming down on tracks and you're tapping when the, the note lines up with the little button you're trying to tap. Difficulty is kind of determined by instrument that you select to play. Like, you start with your very basics, like, I'm going to play the guitar or the drums or whatever to this track, leading to, like, more complicated note note tracks for instruments such as constant screaming is an (laughs) instrument choice. Okay. It's a really simple idea, and it wasn't until, like, I realized I had the option to play the constant scream as a high-level, high-difficulty instrument that I was like, okay, okay, you've got a bit of a gimmick going here. And basically, you're all playing your own little solo music rhythm games on your phone along with the song that's playing on the TV, and then at the end, it converts what you did into a MIDI file, sends it back to the game, compiles everyone's performances together and you get to hear what it was you collectively created while hoping that it was good enough that a carnivorous plant doesn't decide to eat one of you okay i kind of like this it's a little limited by the fact that it's it's having to do um you know royalty free license oh sure uh, stuff but i i like the fact that like there's a very sensible phase of it where you're just like seriously trying to play a game and then you don't get to find out how off the wall it went until the end when it's all mashed together. And there is something pretty fun about that. Um, the other games in this uh, I didn't get to see, but I can talk about the general concepts as I understand them. There's one called Time Jinx. Um, very vaguely, it's something to do with guessing the years that things happened. The lowest score wins, the closer you are to like if if you were like ten years off of when a thing happened, you get ten points. You're trying to keep your score low. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, there's one. I mean, I like things like that, but I like trying to remember dates. I I, I like things like that. The execution, like it's going to depend on the execution. I I didn't get yeah. enough out of that description to know whether I'm I'm going to enjoy it. I have even less I can tell you about this next one. It's called Fixed Text. Uh, it was described as a game where it's all it's like you're all kind of scrambling around editing a collaborative Google document. You're all editing the same text document in real time. I don't know what the game element is, hmm. but that's the mechanic. Okay. Um, and the last one is one called Hypnotorious, uh, which is a social deduction game. The general conceit is that you've all been hypnotized by a hypnotist to believe you are something else other than what you are. Like, let's say everyone has being told they've been hypnotized to be a dog. And one person in the circle will get told they've been hypnotized to be something else, maybe it's a cat. It's not trying to find out who the imposter is, it's not trying to catch the odd one out. As I understand it, the way that it works is you are trying to work out whether you are or are not the person who has a different prompt to everyone else, without giving away what your prompt is or what their prompt is. You are trying to detect, is anyone else trying to do the same thing as me, or am I alone in this? Mm-hmm. Social deduction games like this, it entirely depends on how well you communicate that to the players, how it's going to go. We'll see. I did enjoy Dodo Remy, TKO 2. You don't need to buy this to get the sequel if you already have TKO. Ah, um, uh, the stuff I played this week. Um, I played some Sonic Superstars, which is the new side-scrolling 
sort of 2D perspective Sonic. Hmm. And I really enjoyed it. The best way I can explain why I enjoyed this is it's not quite Sonic Mania, which was very much trying to just completely straight face to be a new classic Sonic game. This has a couple of its own, like, little gimmicks here and there that are trying to be like, what if we did new things in 2D Sonic? But unlike most times that I've played a modern Sonic game, it doesn't feel like Sega is going, here's a new mechanic, could this be the future of Sonic games? Can we do this in every Sonic game forever? Please love this mechanic. It feels a lot more like it's willing to just throw little ideas at the wall and see what sticks. Um... There was a level that I got to go hands-on with um, that stuck out to me particularly where uh, it was a sort of techno-cyber level where every time you went through one of these gates that were peppered throughout the level, you would transform into a different sort of voxel shape uh, or different creature that would, for like maybe 10-15 seconds, you'd have like a different kind of gameplay thing going on and then you'd pop back out the other end as Sonic and continue running around the level. And they were all really simple to understand the old gimmicks, like, oh, you're a little octopus now and you can sort of um, uh, paddle around in 3D space, uh, you know, sort of as if you were in water, or now you're a side-scrolling rocket and you're trying to dodge things in your way and go through boost gates. And all of these were, like, short and simple, required no explanation, took just a few seconds, and then they threw you right back into being Sonic running around. And I really didn't mind that. I think that the fact that, like, no one of these ideas felt like it was trying to upstage the fact that this is at its core about you doing classic Sonic, I didn't mind the gimmicks. And it's rare that I feel that way about a Sonic. Um, The other thing that's a bit more consistently present through it is that you have a small handful of abilities you can unlock by finding hidden stages, Uh, I believe they're called Emerald Abilities, that you can use them once per checkpoint to do things like fire yourself in a specific direction that might help you reach a platform that you're trying to get to, or summon a bunch of clones that'll sort of come across the screen and do damage to enemies for a second, and none of these ever felt necessary. I never saw anything in the level design where I was like, if I don't use this ability, I cannot... Like, I I never felt forced to use them. But there were moments in boss fights where I was like, oh, if I use my one use of this in a boss fight to do this, maybe I can fight this boss in a slightly different way. And I liked having those options available. They were very unobtrusive. They didn't, again, they didn't feel like they were banking the future of the Sonic series on this being popular. And that helped a lot in me actually getting to enjoy those mechanics. Um... Other than that, it just feels like a like a well-designed side-scrolling Sonic game. If you like side-scrolling Sonics, this sure is one of them. Its gimmicks are surprisingly unobtrusive. Um, what about you, Steph? You played anything else this week? Uh, more Baldur's Gate, obviously. Uh, oh, of course, good. of course. Yeah, still good, still really good. Um, what else? I played... Not deep enough to give a massive amount of opinions on, but I obviously had to check out WrestleQuest, the uh, turn-based RPG um, centered around wrestling that came out. I had um, wondered when you were going to get to this. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to think about it. Like, part of it is because I'm a wrestler and feel like it's not, it's very surface level, but not in a, a way where you're trying to make it accessible, more in a way where it's like, why... The Macho Man was known for more than the Cream Rises to the Top promo. Right. It was a famous one, of course. The Cream Rises to the Top. Um, I, you're the one that does the amazing um, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rises to the Top. <laughs> Fucking love it. Um, but they've made so many references to it where I'm like, do something else. Uh, yeah, I tried to play this and it didn't agree with my PC or something. And I didn't try mm. very hard, but I did uh, play it long enough to have the opening intro animation thing where it's showing the it's like a kid's bedroom, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's showing the different zones and it shows the sort of monuments to Randy Savage. And it is just that promo. And I, I'm i sorry to hear that that still remains effectively the bit then. Yeah, cause... it's just so surface level. And I'm like looking at various, like the things they've called stuff. I'm like, why, why is there a sub menu for gimmicks? And the things in it are not gimmicks. Why have you called this hype instead of heat? Like, some of it's mm. a bit nitpicky, some of it's a bit... But some of it's a bit like, if you buy this game, chances are you're a wrestling fan already. Yeah. If you're selling expect. a game based on the fact that Diamond Dallas Page is in it, <laughs> and they've got, like, the actual likeness of Jake the Snake or, or the Macho Man, like, I think you're going to know enough to where you're going to wonder why this is called heat. Or why this is called type instead of style. Like, why it's not using fairly well-known wrestling terms. You're probably a smart mark. Oh. Uh, I'm a fucking professional. <laughs> to me, everyone's a fucking well, mark. Yes, of course. And I'll call them marks in my promos to make me sound all edgy and inside baseball. <laughs> I hate it when wrestlers do that. It's it's so I'm so over promos calling fans marks. But anyway... I, I'm not massively getting on with it either as a game. Uh, mm -hmm. The RPG system is fine, but the the timings are very quick because it's got timed button presses like the uh, Mario and Luigi games. Or, right. or I think Paper Mario did the same, where you yeah. press a button at the right time to do more damage. In this, it if you fail them, you will take like counter damage as well. And I'm finding it a bit annoying. And winning via pinfall has you, like, you've got to time a, uh, like, a little QTE. And there's something a little off about it that I don't like. I think I'd have preferred it to have been an, a more traditional turn-based RPG, which I think would have been a, a, an even better distance between it and wrestling to sort of help that gimmick. Let's just say I've been playing Immortals of Avium and choosing it over it, not because it's a more interesting or better game, but because there's just something about WrestleQuest where I'm just like, I can't be asked. I can't be asked to put it on. Mm. 
I like the visuals. Like, I think the art's yeah. really well done. It looks cute. The yeah. action figure thing is interesting. Mm-hmm. Where they're all toys. It's basically the Super Smash Brothers plot. Yeah, they're, um, but they're muscle men, and I love that. I love yeah, little muscle yeah. men. Yeah, and you know, like I said, I'm not mega fuss, so hopefully it'll sort of expand. I've only had a couple battles that were one on one, but I think basically right now where I'm at with it is I love the concept. I love the concept of you know a turn based RPG, but wrestling, and it's just not currently doing enough for me. It's so surface level in everything it does. Where it had the idea. And then didn't do much else, because the idea is what sells it. Not that I think it's lazy, I just think the game is very confident mm-hmm. that what it's doing is enough. Where it's like, we got this, and I'm like, you could have done better. But my opinion may change next week. I will have to make myself play more of it, because I do want to review it. As you know, a game reviewer who professionally wrestles, I've got more insight into it than most people who are going to review it. So, yeah, I'm just not immediately taken. Plus, you can't make your own protagonist. That's the other thing I want to point out. Create a wrestler is such an integral part of wrestling games. I know exactly how you feel, because uh, Grumble Grumble Ubisoft, this was one of the things that really frustrated me about uh, Roller cha- roller Champions, was that like at least that had customization, but it was monetized. And I'm like, you can't... You've, you've got to let people, like, create their own custom characters in stuff like roller derby and wrestling. Like, certain certain sports just have designing yourself at the core. Yeah, this is the kind of thing. Like, it seems to have multiple protagonists. Mm. I just switched over to one. But until then, I was playing basically a, a, a Macho Man ripoff in a game that already had Macho Man. And mm. the story is the character is sort of a huge fan of, of Macho Man and talks to the poster of him at night. And it's sort of adorable. But when you've already established the Macho Man and then you playing someone who basically looks like Macho Man if he were Lemmy and sounds just like him, it's a little weird. But I think that's part of the problem the game has anyway, where you've got Jake the Snake, the Legion of Doom, Jeff Jarrett... And then a whole bunch of made-up comedy wrestlers that are like robots or superheroes or, or stuff like that. One of, mm. one of them's a little sort of sea creature. I can't remember its name. It was actually quite a good pun. It just feels a little weird that you've got a couple of wrestlers that you know and a whole bunch of gimmicky ones. And it has the unfortunate effect of making any scene with a non-established wrestler feel like... They couldn't get someone. Mm, And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it may have been the game's intent to just have some known wrestlers. And then because the original ones, some of them are really genuinely cute gimmick ideas. But the mere presence of these other wrestlers just makes it it just muddies that water. It, it's funny you the way you you put that, because I, to a certain extent, that almost feels like the experience of the very casual wrestling viewer, where there is one or two wrestlers in a promotion that they know, 
and recognize and maybe are interested in. And then there's a sea of others that some of them are interesting. Most of them are, eh. there are, you know, maybe a few notable gimmicks that you might remember. Um, but the show doesn't pay that much attention to them. Like that, that so weirdly typifies it in an odd way. Sorry. I just, yeah, no, no, you make sense. Yeah. Play anything else this week, Conrad? No. Okay, well, in that case, I will try and crack through a few more things I've played because I still have things on this list. I gotta, I gotta get myself moving quicker. I played fifteen minutes of Stalker Two. Uh, you know how Stalker was like brutally unforgiving and just like very, very bleak. Oh yeah, like the you'll wear out the quick save button on that one. Yeah. Um. This is more of that. Um, ah, okay. The, the demo I played started with my health already going down because there was a dog mauling my leg. Then I was surrounded... <laughs> like, that was how it started, was I was in a cutscene and my health was dropping mid-fucking cutscene. Um, right? Um, I get up off the floor, I'm surrounded by, like, gravity wells that are going to blast me back if I... that are invisible that I can't see. I get past those, um, my Geiger counter starts going off because there's radiation everywhere, I am dying, uh, enemies killed me in like three shots. Couple, couple of interesting things that are different. I stumbled upon a couple of like, not labelled as side quest interactions that were sort of open to how you wanted to respond to them and that felt kind of neat. Um, one that jumps to mind was... I heard gunshots coming from a building and saw dogs running around the building and there was nothing to go go in and interact with this. And I was like, that's probably a person being attacked by dogs. If I go and shoot the dogs, I'm hoping that they'll be friendly because I helped them. That led to a whole little side quest thing. That was just like a thing that like the game didn't point me at, but I could go do and that was fun. Uh, the other thing, and this is like the only real quality of life concession I saw... There is now, like, a compass at the top of the screen that points you which direction your quests are in and how far away they are. Ah! And that is a nice little bit of consideration in a game that otherwise feels like it fucking hates me. Other stuff I played. Um, I played, like, 45 minutes of Black Myth Wukong. Are either of you aware of this? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna guess Wukong is, this is, like, some monkey stuff. Yeah, like so monk, this is like that whole journey to the west stuff. Yeah, this this is what if Dark Souls, but you were playing as a monkey man with a with a with a big stick. Yeah, I think I've seen like store listings for it. I tend to be interested if if like Su Wukong's involved because yeah. I used to like the old aged poorly monkey magic show <laughs> um, yeah. as a kid. Yeah. I've been thinking of tracking them down on uh, YouTube just to be delighted and horrified. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I won't do any impressions mm. from the show here. Um uh, but yes, yeah. yes, how how is this? Uh this is this is looking pretty promising. Um so it is a Souls type game that from what I can tell from this 45 minute demo, the the big thing that sets it apart is you don't select your weapons. You have your one weapon and it is it is your your big hit and stick. And as a result, there's a couple of things that are kind of interesting about that. Um you are forced to fight at a fairly medium range. You do not have any, like, big ranged attack options. Generally, you have to stay pretty close into combat. The thing that gives you a little bit more range is you have three different combat styles you can change between uh, using D-pad presses, um, even mid-combo, that will change you between... I don't remember what the actual names for them are, but it's basically 
big heavy hits mode. Um, I sort of want to bounce around like this is a pole vaulting stick and be in the air a lot and like not on the ground where attacks are happening stance. And I'm going to poke from a bit further back, like hold on to the end of the stick and use it for poking attacks. And like that gives you a bit more room to maneuver and a bit more room to be at range. But even if you're like, you know, poking from a distance, you're still fairly close in uh, consistently. And the way that this seems to balance difficulty for that is that you have a pretty good uh, suite of spells available to you that are explicitly for keeping you alive at close range. Um, Things like the ability to turn to stone for a couple of seconds, and if a big boss attack collides with you, they'll get stunned and you'll have a couple of seconds to get in some, some combat in response. Um, like a freeze the enemy in position for a couple of seconds, or make yourself like invulnerable to attack and do like a, a magical dash away from combat. They have cooldowns on them, so you can't spam them, but they give you those opportunities to get in close and have a safe opening to keep a good combo going. I really like some of the enemy design stuff. There is some really buckwild, bonkers boss design going on. I can remember one boss in particular was, what if a big, big, like, bodybuilding man was a tiger drinking from a pool of blood that challenged, that had, a, like, a like a South London accent, um, like, real, real sort of putting on the, like, Cockney cab driver twang that challenged you to a fight to the death in his swimming pool of blood. Fun! Yeah, it was pretty fun! There's a couple of uh there's a couple of mechanics in there that like I don't know how they you know fit into the grander scheme of things. I I played through like four different sections that felt pretty far apart in terms of gameplay progression. Um the last fight I was doing I had access to like a transformation into a whole different form with a whole different moveset or something, but generally speaking this is like it feels like a pretty fun souls type game that has really leaned in on, because we are getting you to stick with one weapon, we can really spec out to let that weapon work in a lot of different ways and provide you abilities to use that are built around the fact that we kind of know what range you're going to be fighting enemies in. And that's pretty neat. I had fun with it. It's very difficult, but it's definitely on my radar as one to keep an eye on. Um... Nearly done with the Games World stack, uh, the Gamescom stack of games. Um, I played like an hour or so of um, Homeworld 3's new mode War Games. So I don't know if either of you are aware of the Homeworld games. Nah. They are like space RTS games. I'm not a big person for them, but I do kind. I'm kind of interested in the War Games mode they've got in in this new one, which, put simply, is a short co-op roguelike RTS mode. That sounds like a lot of things to mesh together, but it works surprisingly well. The mode is like not designed to be like a big lengthy commitment because it's sort of geared around co-op. You're doing maybe three missions back to back that are going to take maybe like an hour or so to do a run. You pick your sort of starting class, which in this case is you start with this big ship and these little ships to get you started. Your first of three missions is generally... There is a bit of time at the start for you to do the RTS thing of collect your resources, start building up your your fleet and specking out. 
But when you complete each mission, you don't have to hop onto the next mission straight away. You can stick around as waves of increasingly difficult enemies keep coming in to get more points worth to get your sort of randomized roguelike style upgrades to how you're going to spec your squad out. It is a fun idea. It does a decent job of making like the just do a couple of quick runs idea work in co-op. They've paced it pretty well for like the first mission giving you plenty of time to build up your like your units and your little RTS army and then letting you carry any surviving units forward into the other couple of missions so that you are sort of incentivized to not be too reckless because the later missions won't have as much time for you to collect resources and build your army back up. It's an interesting idea and I I am intrigued by it even if I don't have time in my life for an actual big RTS. I don't know if I care about the actual RTS campaign, but this mode within it seemed fun. I think this is my last Gamescom one. Definitely my favourite thing I saw at Gamescom by, like, a pretty hefty uh, margin. Uh, I've talked about this game before. Uh, Billy Bust Up uh, is a platforming game of musical boss fights, where all of the boss fights have original music to them, where you are trying to do sort of platforming to survive in time with the music. Um, I've had my eyes on this game for a while. Uh, It was a Kickstarter project originally a couple of years ago, and uh, the music was very, very catchy, um, very invested in it at the time. It now has a publisher, and I got to play like another, like an actual level and see some cutscenes and do another boss fight at Gamescom, and this game is charming as hell. I cannot get this game's music out of my head. Um, the, the section I played at Gamescom involved a flamboyant ghost owl who was convinced I was, I was in his home for his only ghosts allowed uh, party he was throwing, and as such decided I needed to be murdered before I could join the party. And then he goes on to sing a very elaborate song about every single creative way he can imagine to kill you while you're dodging each of these murder methods as they're sung about in the song. Um, It is funny, it is well-paced, the cutscenes are, like, very well animated and very expressive. I was... For something that is, like, a a pretty, like, pretty small indie project, the level of polish that it has, like, it has picked up since, since finding a publisher is really neat. Um... Honestly, I, I'm so excited for this game, and the more of it I see, the more invested I get in it. Um, if you have not seen anything about it, go look up a boss fight from, from Billy Bust Up, and you will see what what I mean. It seems like it might be something pretty special. Um, yeah, I can't wait for that game to come out. It it It's stuck in my head. Um... Yeah, either of you played anything else this week? Nah, I don't think I have. Okay, I played a couple of things that weren't Gamescom. Um, I'm going to try and get through these as quickly as possible. I know I've talked about a lot of games today. Very quickly, I'm going to mention I played a demo for a game called Space Boat, which is one of the games that I showed off during the Accessibility Summer Showcase. It is a uh, mystery game set on a cruise ship in space in which 
at least in the demo, every single character is um, a... Imagine if the Muppets did a parody of how terrible the video game industry's monetization is. It's just Muppets being the worst excesses of the video game industry in parody form. Huh. Uh, structurally, it is uh, it plays like a point-and-click adventure game in that sense of, okay, this person needs this one thing, I found someone that has it, okay, well, I need to get this item to... like. It's that kind of lock-and-key puzzle design, but it's the character writing between those puzzle elements that I think really sells it. The very first antagonist you you realise you're going to have to deal with is a literal whale stood behind a paywall mocking you for not having access to the things that they have access to as someone who spent money. Nice and subtle. Yeah, nice and subtle, nice and subtle. Um, Who really, really, really just is like set up to make you hate them and hate them and hate them right until you get the entirely optional... Uh, moment where you can fuck them over as much as you like, uh, get your little comeuppance. There's a couple of mechanical things I think it does interestingly, the main thing being kind of like a Phoenix Wright game, sometimes a line, uh, some dialogue in a conversation will be highlighted a different colour, you can press a button, remember that thing that was said, you can now use it in dialogue with other characters that might open up more paths. It's charming in its own cheesy little way. I started playing a game called Sea of Stars, Sea of Stars is fantastic. I am hooked on this. My wife's playing this. This, uh, yeah. Yeah, I need to check that out. Yeah, so it is a top-down um, pixel art RPG. I'm very reassured to have been told it's like 25 to 30 hours, which thank you for time-conscious RPG design. Mechanically, it's got a few really nice little tweaks. It is turn-based combat, but you are not locked into a particular turn order within your party. You pick what order you want your party members to attack in, and once all of your party members have attacked, that resets and you can pick a different order going forward. I really like that. It's got the Paper Mario mechanic of press the button when your attack lands to deal extra damage, press it to block incoming damage. I really appreciate that the game is like very upfront and open about the fact it does not expect you, in terms of how the difficulty is balanced, to be successfully hitting that every single time. It tells you to think of it as, if you successfully block some incoming damage or deal some extra damage, that is a that is a great bonus. Be excited that it happened. Don't stress about it and think that you need to be hitting it perfect every time. And I appreciate that. There is also a really neat mechanic with how this game sort of incentivizes using a lot of your repertoire of moves. Sometimes an enemy will start preparing a big, powerful special attack, and when it does you will see a countdown of how many actions before that attack happens, and a series of icons above their head. If you can hit them with attacks that have those icons associated with them, before the timer runs out, they just don't get to have that turn. Like, they don't do the big attack, and they don't even just do, like, a regular attack. You you stop them doing their big attack, and have a turn of them not doing anything. And that sort of encourages you to play around a bit with using moves in your repertoire that might not be the most powerful, you know, the thing you default to, makes them feel useful. There's a couple of other little mechanics I really like. They do the thing of your magic um, meter refills every time you do regular basic attacks, 
but also doing regular basic attacks creates a resource that you can choose when to put into a character to make their next attack do extra damage or extra healing or whatever it usually does, but but more, as well as adding elemental uh, effects as well. So you can go, I'm going to do a regular attack, but I'm going to absorb some of those things that I hit out of enemies so that this regular attack doesn't use MP and still does like a magic elemental type. Put it all together, it is a fast-paced RPG that like doesn't feel like it's wasting your time in combat, it just get in, do your, your fight, get out. The character writing's really charming, I've, I've really enjoyed all of the characters that have been presented. My only real thing so far is, it's a little plot-heavy in its first hour, doing its setup, but it sorts itself out a lot after that in that regard. I will have more to talk about next week, but Sea of Stars is really promising. The other one I've been playing that I'm going to jump right back to the second I finish uh, recording this today is Goodbye Volcano High. Either of you aware of this? Uh, nope. Not at all, actually. This is a, um, this is a narrative-heavy adventure game, one of your sort of Life is Strange style, you know, choose-your-own-adventure games, that I, I was kind of caught off guard by. Because it is a coming-of-age story about a bunch of dinosaur teenagers trying to come to terms with the fact that the the meteor that kills the dinosaurs is about to crash into Earth and they're probably all going to die. <laughs> would, would you call that a metaphor? Is that a, is, I, I mean, think that's I a mean, metaphor. look, it might be a metaphor. It might be a metaphor. This sure is a story about a bunch of people trying to find meaning in life while wrestling with the like overwhelming dread that comes from the knowledge that the planet is dying and the fact that there's not really much you can do about that and that the potential like overwhelming despair of that Fiction makes it really hard a... to picture a future. They're amazing. They're just amazing. I could never imagine a scenario like that. And here this writer right. has come along and just Look, it's 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 very. It's an. It I'm makes not making no, fun. Yeah. I'm not no, making fun it, of that. Look, it's, it's... It, it makes no secret of the fact it is very much a a. Th it's it's of our time. Um, mm -hmm. there is a meme at one point where on dinosaur social media someone posts, "I sure love living in such historically significant periods of time." Oh. Um, which like, yeah, I I feel that. But this is all a backdrop for a really interesting story about a bunch of teens trying to work out what they want to do with their lives. Um, mm -hmm. Without getting too deep into this, I really like this game's trans representation. There is some really good trans representation in terms of, like, not your typical stories you see told of trans characters. One very, like, non-spoilery example. There is a feminine trans man who talks about struggling with being perceived as who they are because of the fact that they also enjoy presenting femininely sometimes. Things like that that I really appreciate. The main character is a non-binary person who their parents aren't taking their desire to be, you know, to go be a musician seriously, but also, yeah, they're also not taking your identity seriously and they're kind of the same journey you're on. All mixed in with a bunch of music rhythm gameplay. Your main character desperately wants to make it as a musician, so they've got their sort of, like, ticket to get out of town and, and go live their life, or at least that was their plan. And the music rhythm gameplay is really interesting how it's presented, in that 
you tend to have like three different kinds of input the game might be asking of from you at the same time. And it's about juggling these multiple forms of music rhythm input in increasingly challenging situations. One of them is just have the analog stick held in the right direction when things come to this center point in the screen. One is press this button when a circle closes in. One is push both of your analog sticks down at the same time when some arrows line up. And having to like keep on rhythm while paying attention to these multiple inputs at once is a really fun way of presenting the challenge of music. I really like the writing, I really like a lot of the character work in this, and it sure is um it sure is a narrative that is hitting me close to home on a lot of different uh different regards. Uh I haven't finished it, I've played like three hours of it. I get the impression I'm like a bit over halfway, I'm maybe coming into the third act, but it feels really promising, and I'm gonna come back next week and see whether it's uh stuck the landing. So yeah, there you go. That's all the things I played this week. Sorry that took me a bit. <laughs> That's okay. It was a lot to get through. Yeah. There's not much to uh talk about on, on news stuff this week. Uh we can we can get it out of the way pretty quickly. Um uh, Starfield's coming out this week and there's some weirdness going on with review code for that game. Uh unsurprisingly. Don't know what the situation is in the US, but Basically, not a single outlet in the UK got review code for Starfield, including, like, The Guardian, Edge magazine, like, big outlets you would expect to have that game. This just hit me, because you you had mentioned this ahead of the the show, and it just hit me, the the CMA hasn't approved the merger. Well, yeah, (laughs) but I mean... Here's the thing no, I, will... I know. It's just funny to me that the coincidence, because like, it could very well be coincidence, but how weird, how weird and petty and oddly fitting would it be? I mean, if they decided to punish the UK by not providing review code, that that sure would be a, a decision. That sure <laughs> would be a decision. But this kind of came to a head specifically because of Eurogamer, because like Eurogamer had a weird fucking situation go on. So you're you're aware of Digital Foundry, the uh, people sure. who do their like you know um, the benchmarking performance people. of yeah the benchmarking people. They are a part of Eurogamer. They got code for Starfield, but under the agreement that Eurogamer's editorial department was not allowed to see the game. That's a weird thing to do if you did not also secure some sort of, like, uh, NDA on the fact that editorial wasn't <laughs> allowed to see it. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. I'm, try- I'm trying to find the exact, um, yeah, find the exact quote, because it's weird. Um, lastly, a note on Digital Foundry. You should expect to see relatively prompt coverage of the game by Rich and his team after a separate delivery of Starfield code was provided to them. However, this was provided alongside instructions to me by Bethesda that no other part of Eurogamer were granted access. This is an unprecedented request, but one I ultimately felt compelled to honour to ensure that the access granted to Digital Foundry was not subsequently impacted by any other mandate. Acquiesce to. That's the word you're looking for. Acquiesce. Yeah. Update, an hour after Eurogamer posted an article, like, detailing this situation, and a bunch of other UK outlets were like, yeah, us too, Which, what did the fuck did they think was gonna happen? Yeah, it took an hour and 15 minutes (laughs) before there was an update to this. 
Um, we now an, have hour code. Off, an hour after the publication of this blog, Eurogamer was provided Starfield review code by Bethesda. Yeah. Now, granted, mm. it's like 48 hours before the game comes out, like, you know, but yeah, it. And you see, we used to use Twitter for this. But, you know, yeah. now Elon's caught and fucked it up. It's it's a weird mess of a situation, and it's very unclear quite what's going on there. But it's a thing to keep an eye out for, I guess. I would like to interject. Mm-hmm. Because I've been doing a little reading. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. On, well, I said, those kinds of games with the Monkey King have my yeah. attention. So I decided to do a little reading about Black Myth Wukong. Oh, God. <clears throat> Chinese game developer faces boycott after CEO's sexually explicit remarks. Fuck off. A string oh. of sexually charged online comments from the founder of Chinese game developer <sighs> caused a furor on Chinese internet last week, prompting intense criticism. Uh, and then uh, there were some adverts for job postings for the studio. That... Uh-huh. Uh, were very explicit uh, and promised uh, hookup buddies. Um, oh. But the CEO sorry. Uh, said that uh, they were. It was a post. Um, it's part of the boast- benefits package. It was boasting about free snacks and just said that uh, you get those in addition to hookup buddies. Um, and there are like weird <sighs> pictures of like a guy using some sort of beer can for a flashlight and stuff like that uh, in a job listing. Uh, <laughs> um, Oh God! So, oh yeah. What's this well, guy's name? Well, I just I can't wait to tell you what he said. They say you have to tailor the listing to the candidate that you want to attract. So yeah. So Feng Ji, I apologize if I didn't get that name correct, but the the CEO of Game Science. Uh, there were some clips of him talking and said things. Good luck. Good lord. I'm just going to read the things he said. I want to expand our workforce and hire more people. I want to be licked so much that I can't have an erection anymore. Uh I know you guys just happen to be so horny. I'm glad that the trailer has given you some satisfaction. My goal is to give blowjobs to people who appreciate my work (gasps) and to help people who share my vision achieve orgasms. That last bit? I admire the goal. I mean, okay. it's... I, I do legitimately. I respect and admire it. I admire that part of it. You know, if you want to just satisfy <laughs> your customer base, I'm. That's just good business to me. But the rest of this is incredibly Both disconcerting. Hosts <laughs> immediately raised eyebrows on social media, with some critics calling his remarks inappropriate and offensive. Yippee. But he doubled down in a post on August 22nd, in God, which he no. wrote, The trailer got me wet several times. I can still feel the pressure in my pants at the moment. Uh... So, the thing, the thing is, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Like, I get it. It's not appropriate. And, like, the weird images yeah. they have on their job listings, like a a mouse being used as some sort of vibrator. The image of the boy, and he does look like a boy, uh, masturbating with some sort of, uh, with Red Bull, with a can of Red Bull as a flashlight. Like, you can see, like, most of his left testicle and a bit of his right. 
and and again these are job listings but there's something about this that's so strange it's strange that it borders on comical and absurd yeah yeah like the criticisms about like this being an obvious example of male dominated culture like absolutely absolutely 100% yeah but the ceo saying he wants to give blowjobs to people who like his work the like so much of it is like I wouldn't say self-deprecating, but it's so internalized. It's this own weird internalized oversharing, but said in in a way where not to men- keep mentioning the show, but this is what we'd make Jonathan say yes. on Boston's it, favorite yes. son. It's one of those things where like it's not that many percentage points away from like the energy of like the 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 somewhat acceptable energy of like oh, why have I made this character have big tits in a video game? It's because I like big tits. You know, it, it almost could fall on that line of you're like, okay, you're, you're being like, no, no you just, you've just kind of stepped over that into very weird yeah. territory. And I'll say this, not to... I'll play Pervert's Advocate, right? He hasn't specified women. Yeah. It has all been... Like, he wants to give the blowjobs. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say who he wants to lick him until he can't achieve an erection. <laughs> this is, like, part of me wants to say, for balance, you know, this is not no different from stuff I would have said in the past. However, some of this is stuff I'd say now. Yeah, but you wouldn't put it in a job listing, is the thing. The job listings, yeah. The blog posts. I think I'm going to give him, based on what I've just read here. He might have said worse, but based on just what I've read here, I'd give all that a pass as someone who would still say that the job listings are outright bizarre, and and I don't disagree that. Uh, it is so male. Like looking at them communicates to me that as someone who isn't like a cishet bloke, I wouldn't get on at that company. Like it's yeah. it's that off putting. But at the same time, it's I don't know if I personally can be offended just from the standpoint of I'm more baffled. I'm it's I, I'm so confused. I get it. I get it. <laughs> So yeah, that's what I get for playing a game and having a good time with it and then saying right. I had a good time with it without doing, doing my homework first. I didn't want to ruin it, but no, at the same no, time, you, this look, had to be mentioned. No, no. I Look, this is 100% the same energy as when I got really excited playing Ragnarok on PSVR 2 and was like, ah, I'll put up some video footage of me playing that game. Here's a track I was enjoying drumming along to, to two minutes later be like, ah, yeah, did you not know of the controversy? I'm like, oh, God. Um, Uh, Everything's terrible. Last year I played that um, first-person colourful, bashy-bashy game, like like Dungeon Crawly Hacky Slashy, and it turned out that the developer was a real piece of shit, and unfortunately that's... And I... I I'll, I don't know if that's done enough to make me not want to at least try the demo of the game. Because, <sighs> again, like, I'm imagining what this CEO looks like, and it's Jonathan in one of our ideas. Uh, so, <sighs> uh, a couple a couple of other very quick yeah. bits. Um, 
Mortal Kombat 1 has audio descriptions for fatalities, and that's pretty Ooh. fucking cool. There was there was a beta for that that, that was available. I want to hear that. I want to hear yeah. it. That's, that's it. Just... That is a really fun way of doing accessibility because right? it's it's not only is it like good to have audio descriptions, it's also very clearly a funny idea. Like it hits on both levels. And it and it's something everyone can enjoy as yeah. well. It's not just, you know, it's so perfect. Oh, I love that. So I I will note there was a story that got a bit of flack this week around that. And the short version is IGN did a story about this in which they didn't acknowledge the this is really good that this is there for disabled players who could already play Mortal Kombat, but, you know, were missing out on the visual elements. They purely, their entire angle was, oh, it's real funny hearing hearing descriptions of the things. That's, that's fucking wild. That's weird hearing it described. That's what, that, oh, all oh, this weird, funny content we put in for disabled oh. people. It was a yeah. weird vibe. Yeah, like, the thing is, like, obviously I pointed it out because it should be pointed out because you've had someone in a recording booth just being like, and then he pulls his spine out of his ass. Yeah. I, I think we can simultaneously acknowledge if you are not used to audio descriptions, this is going to be a particularly abrupt introduction to them having descriptions of very... The, I think the thing is because the visual elements are so like desensitized at this point that having matter of fact descriptions of them is like oh yeah that is what's happening huh like it's still an accessibility feature but nobody said that they can't be fun I think that's what I like about it it's not making fun of them it's having fun with them and and I yeah. enjoy that and that's the thing it is they they are literally just a matter of fact description of the thing that is happening and it just so happens that the thing that is happening is kind of fucking hilarious so yeah i'm glad that's that's coming um and then the last one is um Baldur's Gate 3 hasn't been on Xbox and there'd been some rumblings about maybe why that was and we have a bit of insight into it now because Baldur's Gate 3 is now going to be coming to Xbox, but not without some bending of some internal developer requirements from Microsoft. The Xbox Series X and the Xbox Series S both exist. And up until now, Microsoft has very much been of the opinion that if you're making a game for the Xbox Series consoles, the only difference between the Series X and the Series S can be visual performance, like frame rate resolution. It has to be feature parity across those two platforms. And an exception is being made for Baldur's Gate 3. It's a small caveat, but it's that the Series S version won't have access to split-screen co-op. Hmm. It's not a big difference, but it does come a couple of days after there was a tweet doing the rounds and I can attest to this myself, that there was a lot of rumblings going on at Gamescom from developers talking about the fact that, like, the Series S is somewhat limiting some of the stuff they can put on Xbox in a few ways. This is the first bit of ground we've seen Xbox give on maybe a feature here or there won't come to the Series S. Ah. It's not a huge feature difference and it's not necessarily indicative of anything big but it is it is interesting and i i feel like it's it's worth noting that it has happened yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
So that's a thing to keep an eye on uh, for Microsoft's weird little double console thing this generation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's it. I think we've done it. Right. Cool, cool. Um, What else have you done, Laura? Have you done anything else you got? Me? Yeah, got any sort of irons in the fire, any of that? Me? Yeah, tell me, me? about them. Uh, I, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff in the works. You can find it all at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. I've got that good unified branding. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Um, Stories of Autistic Joy is coming out on October 19th. Look forward to that. Um, what have I got coming up that I can actually talk about at the second? Um... I've got an episode of Accessibility going up this Friday about um, Xbox's presence on the show floor at Gamescom and the interesting stuff they've been doing there for accessibility, uh, for, like, physical booth space at conventions that's really interesting. Um, I think that's the main one I can talk about at the moment. Um, You can go see a piece I wrote about a game called Mars Vice over on uh, transrights.com, W-R-I-T-E-S. It's a place where people write about trans stuff. Um, The headline to that piece is, Mars Vice is the gay, trans, furry, anti-cop space adventure game I can't wait to play. Um, Which goes into... uh, I didn't have a chance to talk about it here today because we're already going long. But you can read that to find out about Berlin trying to rebrand ACAB as All Cops Are Beautiful. <laughs> and the and the uh, the ways that that inspired explicit pushback that created a gay furry anti-police corruption video game set in space by a bunch of trans creatives. It's, it's an interesting thing. Go give that a read. Um, what about you, Conrad? Where are you on the oh, internet? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, yada, yada, yada. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda and officially licensed Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And, uh, everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fist shark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Ooh. I do. It's oh. true. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, that supports this podcast, the videos, all of that. Um, I also stream when I can at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Uh, my latest, well, well, rather my next upcoming wrestling match. Thank you again, everyone who turned up last weekend. Uh, my next upcoming, res- upcoming wrestling booking is Sheffield. I'll be back in Sheffield again for Pursuit Pro Wrestling's first ever show. Pursuit Pro Wrestling is where I train under Liam Slater. Um, I'll be part of their 10-person uh, battle royale. Uh, they're called a 10-man battle royale. Um, yeah, well, the joke will be on them when a girl wins it, I guess. Um, but yeah, that show, First Pursuit in Sheffield, uh, September 23rd. Uh, ticket information will be... If you look up Pursuit Pro Wrestling, uh, you'll get it. Um, yeah, hope to see you there. And then after that, I know I have another booking coming up in September where I'll be defending uh, the PCW title, and same goes for October. Um, but until then, you know, I'll, I'll promote those closest to the time. Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.